You're listening to the Crypto Markets Wiki podcast, brought to you by John Lothian News. Welcome to the Crypto Markets Wiki podcast. I'm Matt Rabel, your host, as usual, editor at John Lothian News. Now, normally I interview people from around the industry, see what's going on, talk to people who are running the companies or managing the assets that make this industry what it is. However, today I decided to do something a little different. I thought it might be fun to include one of JLN's, well, actually the only other of JLN's editors who normally cover this space. Tom Thompson is in the studio with us today. How are you, Tom? I'm great, Matt. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure as always. I also see you every day, so the pleasure is mine every day. But now our listeners get to join in. So I think a lot of the people who follow this podcast and a lot of people who are regular consumers of John Lothian News content might already be familiar with you, but just for good measure, would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners a little bit? Tell us who you are and where you come from. Uh, Well, I've been around the industry for quite a few years. Uh, My first job in the futures industry outside of the government was in this building at 141 West Jackson. I Mm -hmm. worked for the Chicago Board of Trade from 1984 to 1994. So about... Ten and a half years. I uh, was an agricultural economist, but I worked mostly in financial futures. And then I moved to Germany with my family and worked for Eurex because I was in love with the idea of electronic trading. After that, I came back, worked as a consultant to Eurex and to the Chicago Board of Trade Clearing Corporation. And about four years ago, I started consulting for... Uh, startups and other small entities, and they have tended to be in the crypto space. So Mm. I got to learn a lot about crypto. And uh, one of the first conversations I had in the crypto space about project work was with a company called Because. Oh. And I have gotten to um, complete that circle by writing about their bankruptcy this year. So I talked to them Back in 2016, mm-hmm. while they were before they were even filed as a company in Virginia, you did an excellent job covering that. By the way, I was I was enthralled by all the updates that you kept putting out. That uh, that it it is a shame, you know, to see a company full of people go under because obviously that company is their livelihoods and that affects not only them but their families and so on and so forth. But it is unfortunately something that is becoming more common in the crypto space, especially for companies that are mining centric. So it's really good, I think, that you uh, covered that whole situation. What was, it, what was it like talking to the Because people as a former employee now covering their liquidation? <laughs> well, that was very political, of course. Yeah. So there are some people who... Uh, were more forthcoming and other people who were a little bit more tight-lipped and angry. Um, One of the reasons why I I, um, did not work for them more 
mm. was that they became mining centric while they were also trying to have a trading platform and a clearinghouse and a futures market. Uh, that whole thing didn't work together. And the mining operations took all of their cash, took all of the attention from senior management. And failures there or weaknesses over there brought down the whole company. That's a shame. a shame to see, but these things happen. It kind of seems like they were trying to learn, teach themselves how to juggle while juggling their own company. You know what yeah. I mean? Too many balls in the air, not enough hands. Well, yeah, and the mining ball was just so much bigger. It was a medicine ball. Yeah, it was a medicine ball, but it was also like a, a, a cube more than a ball. <laughs> I mean, they, it, it was a different shape from the other stuff. Sure. Um, whole different kind of thing. It was a you know, physical plant that yeah. needed to be built, operated, maintained, uh, expanded, things like that. And the cost like of electricity and things like that. Yeah. Did you so, throw that in there? Yeah, it was a very different kind of business than an exchange. A lot of really interesting stuff with different exchanges have, have happened this year. For example, just recently, Eris X finally launched their Bitcoin futures. After how, how long? When did they make the announcement? Do you remember that they were going to launch this year? Um, well, actually, last year, they, they're not so year? bad. They're not so bad. They announced mm. in October, I believe, around oh, okay. October 20th or something. Mm. Last, Not this past year, but yeah, 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 yeah. In, in 2018, that they were going to metamorphose into a different kind of exchange. They were going to use their old license from swaps trading, mm. swap futures trading, uh, yeah. into becoming a, a futures house for crypto along with a clearinghouse. And they they were the they were formerly were they formerly a department of Eris Exchange or were they No, it was it, they just sort of it was a transition. It was a pivot. It was gotcha. you know, what what all the all the cool kids call a pivot. So the Eris organization kind of changed into this data or uh, index provider. Mm based now out of New York, I believe, mm -hmm. they sold off the contracts to the CME, which was the organization that cleared them in the first place. Yeah. And then this new group kind of took the places of the people who had been there before. So it, it, they never really coexisted much together yeah. in, a, in, a, in a formal way. Sure. Well, in addition to Erisex, and because there's also Backed, of course, which launched in December, uh, that is launched there. First, they're physically delivered Bitcoin futures, and then later that was September, right? That was in September, and then more recently in was it November? No, December. There was was the options contracts on backed Bitcoin futures, but it was actually ISIS contracts. Yeah, they're. Backed yeah. is simply a depository. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it would be like calling treasury bond futures at mm -hmm. the CME Federal Reserve futures because the transfer of the of the treasuries in those contracts goes through the Federal Reserve wire system. Sure. So backed is just a a location, a delivery location. Yeah. And uh, of course, there's also Ledger. Well. Actually, before we talk about Ledger X, because <laughs> uh, Honelli, it's 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 interesting that uh, I wanted to talk about Backed and Eris X in in particular 
because, well, I guess because I, they're not doing nearly so well as everyone expected. A or yeah. B because they are being trumped, the normal use of the word, by <laughs> uh, the trading volume at the CME. I was actually going to say C, which is all of the above. Yeah. The um, CME has just done a fine job. I mean, my background is in product development yeah. um, and regulation. And the CME indicated very early on that it had no great hopes for Bitcoin futures, mm -hmm. but it would play along. It had some members who wanted to trade it, so they would list it. Yeah. They had an index developed for them mm -hmm. uh, that is relatively accurate. Mm -hmm. It's good enough for future settlements at any rate. Sure. And they launched it. It worked. It vanquished the, its first competitor, which was the SIBO futures. Uh, it vanquished Ledger X, which mm -hmm. actually even predated SIBO futures. Mm -hmm. And then people started thinking that the CME didn't know what they were doing and that that maybe six or 7,000 contracts a day sounded nice, but there was so much more potential. So they thought that there was this great wrinkle of having a deliverable contract and a deliverable contract would open up the floodgates of trading. Uh-huh. Didn't quite work out that way. No, it did not. Uh, for example, Ledge, um, not Ledger X. Aerosource. Uh, no, I'm thinking... Backed. Backed. So ICE's, ICE's futures, mm -hmm. which is the deliverable, based on a deliverable contract. Sure. They, uh, yesterday, I guess, the day before, um, I haven't looked at today's numbers, so that which would be more accurate. Mm -hmm. But the second to the last trading day in that December contract, there was about 2,500 contracts that traded hands. And their open interest went down by about 250 contracts or, or so, or, so that coming into delivery, there were only about 121 contracts, mm -hmm. which kind of puts the lie to the idea that everybody wanted to trade it back so that they could have a, have a delivery on their futures contracts. In fact, yeah. the vast majority of people avoid delivery. Uh -huh. So yeah. how... How, to your knowledge, I wanted to ask you this because you have experience working in exchanges in, let's let's say, traditional finance, not, you know, di the digital asset jungle. How is... I did work in cannabis, you know. Well, that's... Yes. Yeah, so not, the, not only in traditional things. But yes. yes. So how physically delivered assets, do they work any differently for Bitcoin than they would for any other commodity, let's say? No, not really. Um, they are in a physical location or um, a conceptually physical location. Uh, they're controlled by you know, the, the seller. The person who's going to deliver Bitcoin has to be assured that he's getting paid for the Bitcoin that it, he, he is transferring. Yeah. Uh, you just have it done under rules that are set up by the exchange or by the clear by the exchange and the clearinghouse, mm -hmm. and it just goes no, normally through. Now, yeah. one thing that is unusual with the backed contract is that ICE is not in involved at all in it, yeah. the deliveries. So they step away. 
And generally, in futures deliveries and settlements, the clearing members are active and they're the ones who actually execute. But for some reason, or for maybe a variety of reasons, or an accumulation of reasons even, mm-hmm. at BACT, the end users are facing each other in the delivery uh, on a futures contract. The, the clearing members are take, totally taken out. As uh, I may have mentioned before, I also wanted to mention that I mentioned Ledger X because they have recently gone through a fairly large change in their executive staff. I'm talking, of course, about Paul and Juthika Cho. Am I pronouncing their surnames correctly? I always want, I always wonder about yeah, that. Yeah, sure, Cho. I believe it's pronounced Cho. They have been placed on administrative leave for an indefinite amount of time, or at least not a publicly disclosed amount of time. And it's all because... I, I, it's, it, ostensibly, it appears that the cause for that is a certain debacle that took place in July regarding Ledger X's supposed blessing from the CFTC to launch Bitcoin futures, which it turns out they actually didn't. And now, after that, Paul Cho took to Twitter to rant about the incident, and now we find ourselves here. So I, unfortunately, this is kind of a common thing in, in the crypto world, right? It, it, almost, it almost makes me think that, that it might be good common practice to just not have a personal Twitter account if you're at the head of a huge, because look, you know, between this and uh, Justin Soon of Tron, you know, has, uh, and also Chengping Zhao of Binance have also engaged in not exactly the same, but similar practices over social media. Although, obviously, in Ledger X's case, it w- it ended up a little bit differently. What uh, what what's your take? Well, on that? Justin Soon's results were pretty. I mean, it's, it, pretty administratively leave mm-hmm. administrative leave kind of results. Um, yeah. You know, he didn't get to have dinner with uh, lunch actually. Lunch, yes, with with Warren Buffett. Yeah. Um, so. He and uh, Chengping Zhao, supposedly, and a, a few other people from the crypto world, I understand. Yeah, there, it's, it kind of se- seemed like he was invited to lunch and then he went, hey, can I bring three friends, you know, which I, I believe was may have been part of the original agreement. But it, it, was, it, was, it was wild to, to see watching Twitter the week or so after that announcement with just piling on CEO after CEO like, oh, I want to have lunch with Warren Buffett, too. Yeah. You know, obviously, Mr. Buffett's reaction to the whole uh, situation has been a little bit restrained, I would think, but uh, well behaved, well behaved, professional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that that's a that's a nice segue into, yeah, the, the whole the whole Warren Buffett thing. So what do you think he would have, that is to say, Justin Soon would have discussed with Warren Buffett, he said that it was a medic. There was a medical reason for it, but it sounds like information that came out after uh, after the incident may have seemed to paint a different picture. Yeah, I mean, he he is in trouble with the Chinese government. Ah, uh, so that is probably so. It's quite possible that Warren Buffett's side mm-hmm. signaled that they should not be having lunch. Yeah, because. Warren Buffett doesn't have lunch with Chinese criminals um, <laughs> on a routine basis or even sure. no matter how much 
the person pays, he, he probably course. does not like yeah. to do that. So he, they, I mean, it, I don't think. Which is a reasonable stance to take. Yes. It's understandable. Yeah. It's understandable. But people, um, he was never charged. There were a lot. He was investigated. Uh, it's a bad look. Yeah. At, it, he was being investigated at the time. He was supposedly had a kidney stone That's what problem. I and then at some point he was saying that, I believe he was saying that he was in a hospital room in Beijing. But then a couple of days later he said, no, I can travel anywhere in the world. In fact, I'm in Seattle or something yeah, like that. Yeah, somebody, somebody said, like, no, I saw him in the States like yeah. a couple of days ago. Yes. There's so, a lot of really weird conflicting information around that whole incident yeah i it's a probably an interesting story but um, yeah. one will never really know yeah. all the details too yeah. um, but i i and then since then sun has been he was one of the people i believe whose weibo accounts was shut down by the chinese government um yeah i believe so yeah yeah and that was more recent so yeah. he he's not doing well no, and that that is a shame. Yeah, there's a, but there's see, a lot of strange stuff so happening. Changpeng uh, Zhao from Binance, mm -hmm. he's not been too bad. He just got upset about whatever it was lately, and he's put a million dollars or something like that, or a million million dollars, yeah, not a million Bitcoin, toward stamping out dissidents, uh, Bitcoin dissidents. Yes, know, if you do not like. Yes. Him or his crypto business, he's got tools to go after you and well-funded tools now. I'm glad you brought that up because that is something I wanted to talk about. The anti-FUD fund discussed over Twitter and possibly more private channels between Changpeng Zhao, a.k.a. CZ, as he is known, and Justin Soon. Uh, for those who are unaware, the anti-FUD fund refers to a fund that the head of Binance and the head of Tron, TRX, have discussed creating in order to support, uh, let's say, legal actions against journalists who contribute to what they call FUD, fear, uncertainty, doubt, which a lot of people in the crypto space believe is holding cryptocurrency back. I am not a fan of this idea. Personally, I, I think, I mean, maybe I'm biased because I am a journalist, but it kind of seems like, you know. Well, it's kind of un-American, but. I mean, it is. They aren't Americans, so. Uh, fair enough. We have to we have to give them that. You know? That is true. That is true. So it might just be one of those cultural differences that we can't truly appreciate. Yes. However, the person that he, uh, that one of them, I believe, specifically, uh, there, there was an incident in which there was a website that published a certain story that described a visit to Binance's offices in China as a raid when allegedly, according to CZ, that wasn't actually true. So there, they have since, this website has since walked back that article and republished it with corrections saying, uh, well, we minor, minor corrections. Minor correction. Minor. And I wouldn't even say they were corrections. I would say they were just changes yes but yes so it was actually the block well i wasn't gonna say it but i mean you know. why not you know it's a, <laughs> so right. it was the block who, who published it yes. and they said that um they heard and it was later confirmed that the police came to such mm -hmm. and such an office yes and in that office there were people who worked for binance mm -hmm. and 
after the police left, mm-hmm. the people who worked for Binance also left, and they never came back. Hmm. Interesting. So, again, maybe it's a cultural difference, but it's kind of close to what a raid is like. Yes. You know, if, if they clear the place out and the people don't ever come back, you would say it's raided. Yeah. You, you could say that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, this is an interesting situation because on one hand, yes, they are beholden to a different culture with a different set of principles and values. However, they were specifically threatening foreign journalists, which, I mean, you know, the, I'm, not a, I'm not a lawyer, but this seems to me like it might set a bad precedent, you know, creating funds specifically to fight journalists that report stories on your company that are sometimes negative because that's the point of the press is to inform the people whether it's good or bad news. Yes, but on the other hand, every sizable American company has a thing called a PR department. (laughs) And what everybody in PR departments are doing is trying to suppress the publication of negative things about the companies that they're working for. Mm -hmm. And some of them have many, many more than a million, millions of dollars than just $1 million trying to fund those um, Mm -hmm. anti-propaganda. So you're saying that this this anti-FUD fund you think might be a more of a collective PR sort of body for the crypto industry at large? It could be. Yeah, it could be. Could be. Well, time will... I mean, one of the things that they could do, I guess, is is if, because they, they're pissed off at the the block, Yeah, is maybe they should go out and buy every copy of the block every day. Trouble with that is, of course, that it's electronic, but that is what... A, if you have a deep, big, deep pocket, that's what you do, is you just buy them. Um, <laughs> So buy them out. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Twenty. The end of the decade is just around the corner. We have fewer than two weeks left in 2019. So, yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe. So the, but I think the biggest biggest story of this year mm-hmm. has to be Libra. I think you're right. Yeah, one of the biggest companies. So that's the only time we've agreed on Le- anything about Libra. <laughs> yes, the first time. That's good. Yeah, yeah, it's nice yeah. That, it's nice that we could have this moment. Yes, I, I agree. Tom and I have uh, different takes on on Libra and the uh, concept of the company and the technology behind it. So if you're unaware, Libra is a stable coin. It is like a cryptocurrency, but not really. Whereas a cryptocurrency has value that is purely fueled by speculation and market demand essentially at that at this point would you say that that's more or less correct yeah i mean it's it's the value is purely tied to the transaction stable coins are tied to some a third currency or an extra or, thing or a lump assets. of yeah. precious metals yeah. or equity or something like that uh, libra is facebook's attempt to create a stable coin that not only is not only Stable, as the name implies, as opposed to Bitcoin, Ether, name a crypto. They are attempting to create something that can be used, can be, it kind of seems like fairly easily kind of on-ramped onto Facebook Facebook's platform, which has several billion users currently. 
Now, that is being developed by the Libra Association, which is technically a separate company. However, it was... Well, it's not being developed by them. The people who are developing it are Calibra, which is a fully owned subsidiary Mm -hmm. of of Facebook. Right. The association is the guiding the commercial kind of rollout of it. Right, right, right. Now, more... uh, So recently, Libra, it came out recently that there was a member of Libra's, the Libra Association's board of directors who recently uh, spoke to, I believe it was Reuters, and said that there is no current clear firm plan for Libra's Libra's launch. They are very confident it's going to happen in 2020. But what he said is the reason that they don't really have a plan yet is because they want to they want to curate their approach based on the outcome of talks with regulators that they're currently having. And David Marcus, who would it be fair to say he's the face of Libra yeah, at this point? He's, he's the CEO. He's the CEO of Libra. He's yeah. the one who got in front of Congress and talked for three days straight about the project and, and how he it, it's their desire to work with regulators as opposed to Satoshi Nakamoto, creator of Bitcoin, who specifically wanted to spite regulators by creating an alternative financial system outside of government control. Obviously, the stigma of cryptocurrency has carried over to Libra, as well as the stigma of Facebook. And this is why I'm a little skeptical about Libra personally. The Libra Association consists of there are a number of large companies that have all signed on to become nodes which is to say they will operate machines that will provide the computing power necessary for Libra's blockchain to function. Now, I'm personally kind of dubious about the idea of private corporations, you know, independently managing a whole monetary system on the scale of, I mean, even if, you know, even if a small fraction of Facebook's users end up joining Libra and creating accounts and putting money in their Libra accounts and transacting with it. That's still going to be a huge number of people, hundreds of millions at least. So I'm a little bit dubious about this, but you have a completely different take and I'd love for you to share. Well, it's just MasterCard. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, everybody has a MasterCard. Mm-hmm. What have they done to us, to us lately? I mean, it, there are definitely different risks, mm-hmm. but we can identify, we know who, where it's coming from. So it's, it's the biggest risks are centralized in Facebook itself. Facebook has taken certain steps to distance itself from the Libra currency, for the, from the operation. Mm-hmm. The Calibra, which is their subsidiary that has developed all of the IT for the, for the project and will do the further IT development, is under their control, and maybe there are some things they've sneaked in to the code or something mm-hmm. like that that would uh, backfire mm-hmm. on the common user, but that's not very likely. The connections to the company are... Would you m- say the connections are tenuous at best, or um, are, they more, are they more direct and clear? They're not clear, and so it's not... Absolutely. This is one of the places where, of course, the devil is in the details. Sure. 
So, and those details haven't been developed yet. They're not public. Which is another reason I'm skeptical about all this, for the mm-hmm. record. But go go on. But, um, so the reason why I like mm-hmm. Libra, and I like Facebook being involved with Libra, is that it's a big, big company. And so they have the resources to do almost anything. They can make, they're in the position to make an absolutely excellent product. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're a better place than virtually any other organization. So they've got this, this deep distribution system, extensive distribution system to all corners of the world, which is kind of what you need for a transformative yeah. cryptocurrency or currency or new currency or, or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, their goals, which could produce huge amounts of money for them if, if they're successful, but their goals are sustainable in that they're trying to get large numbers of people to do transactions using this technology. And if they can make money off that, that means it'll be sustainable and it can go into the um, 22nd century. Right. So I think it's it's great. Now, there are a couple things that I don't understand at all, I don't think are, are fully worked out yet. And we've seen David Marcus in public equivocate about them and that is this the reserves system so that a libra one libra is only supposed to be created when there has been a deposit of fiat against it and so that kind of sounds okay when you think about it but all all of a sudden there's this big puddle of dollars and euros and things like that that are being taken out of circulation and substituted in with this these other transactional things, mm. uh, Libra coins, you know, mm. but the investment side of it all is stuck in this reserve, mm-hmm. and there could be a lot of friction or drag or something like that coming from the fact that people are walking around with Libras and they're not in a checking account that would bear interest. It's not in a. It's not. It's taken out of the banking system, and how the reserves can then be used for investment or what kind of investment and what kind of economic growth the reserve will drive or be able to drive, that's not clear. One of the things that um, David Marcus has backed off of is this idea that there would be a bundle of currencies in in the reserve. That seems like a good way to make the already considerable regulatory challenges with this exponentially more complicated. Well, it's not, and it's what I never understood from day one was the idea that, where I didn't agree with the idea that people would be willing to have to buy a cup of coffee with a Libra mm-hmm. instead of a dollar because the dollar is stable vis a vis the dollar. The Libra is not going to be stable, exactly stable, against the dollar. It would be varying because it's going to be backed by five currencies and this and things are going to be always going on among those currencies and the value of Libra is going to be changing all the time. Mm-hmm. So even if the Libra came to dominate, you'd still have to know the value of the Libra versus the other currency, the fiat currencies that you're most interested in, the ones that you're living with or you're yeah. earning money with. So that never made any sense to me. So mm-hmm. having a, a Libra that is 
in the United States, only dollar backed. That makes a lot of sense. And then having a Euro Libra that's Euro backed, that makes a lot of sense because the, the pricing is sure. stable. Personally, I'm super distrustful of Facebook as a company, uh, especially given the uh, Cambridge Analytica scandal that came out years and years ago. It, it wasn't, it, on my part, it wasn't, it wasn't so much the, uh, the scandal itself so much as it was the way Facebook handled it. You know what I mean? Utter lack of admitting, oh, okay, we messed up, but we're going to, you know, in good faith, we are here to make sure that it seemed more like they were trying to say like, well, actually, this wasn't that big a deal because, you know, it, it seemed more like they were trying to downplay its significance. The Cambridge Analytica thing that I'm referring to is Facebook being kind of reckless with its users' personal data in a way that caused that data to be leaked. And uh, it's rather hard to account for where that data goes once that happens. So people's email addresses, their birthdays, their their friends lists, their all this personal information that could potentially be used in ways they might not necessarily consent are now free in the world. I, I, I do agree with you, Tom, that Libra is more than capable of launching and being technically airtight, right? And, and, and even David Marcus, he, he's, he's good at this. He's been doing it for years. He used to work at PayPal. He was an executive at PayPal before he started working at Libra. And it, it really seems like he's going about this the right way. Uh, my, my trepidation is it all comes back down to who's, who's behind the, the project, like the company itself. is. It's, it's going to be kind of hard for me to. I, but you know what? I hope they prove me wrong because I would love to see something like Libra spread throughout the world, become, gain wide adoption and, and genuinely make the world a better place. And as David Marcus has repeatedly said, improved financial inclusivity uh, the world over. So I think we are just about out of time, but thank you, Tom, for joining me in this studio and discussing the year's events. It's, uh, it's gonna be the new year soon. And it's going to be a whole new decade, as a matter of fact. I, I, remember, I remember what I was doing in 2010, the last time the decade rolled over. I was still in college back then, but I'm looking forward to seeing what the new year has in store for all of us. Including, so what yeah. is your Bitcoin price prediction? <laughs> um, what price will it end next year? Oh, that's a question that never ends well. Um, Price prediction next year. Um, I think this time next year it'll be around the same price. I think, I, honestly, I think that we're at a point. Today's price is the best prediction of tomorrow's price. Yes. Uh, today's price is about 7,150, 7, somewhere around, roundabouts there. It, it, really, it, it really seems to me like the the sweet spot when it comes to Bitcoin's price is somewhere between 6K and 8.5K. That's where that's sort of the range that it seems to warble around uh, to me. But how about you? What, what is your Bitcoin price prediction? I, well, I don't know, but uh, I would just like to leave with the words, buy the dip. Buy the dip. You heard it here first. Actually, you probably didn't, but hey, you know. So the last words of the year. The last dip. words of the year. I will. I would also like to add on to that by saying, as soon as you think you know exactly which direction Bitcoin is going to go, you are already wrong. 
So let's wait and see. Tom, thank you for joining me in the studio today. And uh, thank all of you for listening. We really appreciate all of your support and hope that you continue to uh, check us out. We are on Spotify now. You might be listening to this as we speak on Spotify. I'm a fan of Spotify personally, I, but that's mainly because I don't have an iPhone. We're also on iTunes. We're also on Google Play. We are also on johnlothiannews.com, which you should check out because there's a ton of great content coming out every week. So without further ado, I will let all of you uh, sally forth into a new decade. Once again, Tom, thank you for your time. You're, you're welcome. Good to see you. For more news, videos, and podcasts like this, head over to johnlothiannews.com. Yeah.